Well, good morning, everybody. My name's David, uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet. Uh, I am the small groups director here at Severn, and today I get to continue our series that we're calling Uncommon Good. And uh, we're in week two of this series. Uh, last week, uh, Aaron kind of kicked the whole series off. And um, this series is about how we can serve uh, like Jesus has called us to serve. And last week, Aaron's message was about just really serving wherever we are. And for the next uh, three weeks, we'll look at very specific um, areas of life that we find ourselves pretty regularly. So we'll be looking at how to serve through our work, how to serve in our neighborhoods, and how to serve uh, in the local church. Uh, so today we get to really start the conversation or have a, have a conversation about what it looks like to serve in and through our work. And, uh, and this is really, my goal today really is just to kind of start the conversation because it's a big topic. Um, there's, there's big books written on this topic and uh, really you could spend a, quite a while thinking through it. And um, I think in the church, um, oftentimes when we approach the topic of, you know, faith and work, uh, we can either oversimplify it or just feel overwhelmed by it. <clears throat> and when we oversimplify it, it can look like things like, you know, the only work that really matters is, you know, ministry work. So like being a missionary or working at a church or working at a Christian bookstore or writing Christian music. Um, and then the rest of the jobs just exist to send money to those people. And uh, really what we do when we, when we create that you know, oversimplification, only 1% of actual work matters for Christians. And, and that's just not the case. Um, but the other, the other side of that is sometimes we can feel overwhelmed. And maybe you can relate to this. Uh, when you just kind of hear the, all the different ways that you could serve God and serve others through your work. And uh, I was actually reading a book on this topic. It's called Every Good Endeavor. It's a good book about, you know, faith and work and kind of how they intersect. Um, and they outlined a list of, you know, this very idea. They said when we talk about work, it can be overwhelming sometimes. And I just want to just read this list for you, uh, not because I'm trying to overwhelm you, <laughs> uh, but to kind of um, point you in the direction of what, how we're going to go today and go about talking about this. But, but this is the list of what we can hear sometimes about serving God in our work. Uh, the way to serve God at work is to further social justice in the world. The way to serve God at work is to be personally honest and evangelize your colleagues. The way to serve God at work is to just do skillful, excellent work. The way to serve God at work is to create beauty. The way to serve God at work is to work from a Christian motivation to glorify God, seeking to engage and influence culture to that end. The way to serve God at work is to work with a grateful, joyful, gospel-changed heart through all the ups and downs. The way to serve God at work is to do whatever gives you the greatest joy and passion. Or the way to serve God at work is to make as much money as you can so you can be as generous as you can. And this is actually a pretty good list. Like, those are good things. Like, those are not necessarily bad ideas. But if we just came here today to try to come up with a list of all the ways we could serve God at work, it'd be, it, there's an infinite number of possibilities. It would, we could not cover it in 30 minutes. Um, because just even in our church, in this room or online watching, uh, we have people who work as uh, nurses, as engineers, as uh, stay-at-home parents, uh, we have people who are retired, we have people who work at nonprofits, people who work in IT, a bunch of military servicemen, uh, law enforcement. So we have so many different jobs. So to try to go through how all of this applies to every job just wouldn't really, wouldn't be able to cover it. Um, so what I think would be the most you know, practical or kind of you know, logical way to approach this this morning would be to give us all a framework through which we can look at any job and figure out what it looks like to serve God and serve people through our work. So the goal today is kind of build a framework, build a view of work that will help us do that no matter, no matter where we work. And uh, to do that, we are going to be in Genesis, right, where it all started. And I'm going to read a passage, uh, passages from Genesis 1, 2, and 3. <clears throat> and I'm actually going to start in Genesis 1, verse 26. I'll start there, and then we'll get going. <clears throat> then God said, let us make man in our image 
according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, Look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of, of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This food will be for you, for all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth. Everything having the breath of life in it. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Evening came, and then morning, the sixth day. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. By the seventh day, God completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from his work of creation. I'm going to skip down to verse 15 of chapter 2, and we'll just read two verses there. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat of it, you will certainly die. <clears throat> and most of us probably know uh, how that ended up going. Uh, they did, in fact, eat from that tree, uh, and they decided that they would trust that they knew better than God knew. And in that act of rebellion, uh, sin entered the world. And then I'm going to read one last passage. This is actually from chapter 3, when God is explaining the consequences of sin, really what that's going to do to the world. And it's really interesting because one of the things God points out is the effect that that has, that sin has, on our work and our relationship to work. So in verse 17 of chapter 3, he says, And he said to Adam, Because you listened to your wife's voice and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it, the ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground, since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust." So we're starting here in Genesis to kind of, again, build this view of work. And that's because really the main overarching idea of, of our time today um, is this. It's that the, the way you view work will determine how you do work. And it rhymes, so you'll remember it for at least a little bit. The way you view work will determine how you do work. And, you know, there's a lot of ways that we, that we view our work. You know, some of us probably see work as just this necessary evil that we have to get through. I remember when I worked at Nationwide Insurance, I remember walking into work one day with a coworker. I didn't know him super well, but we were just like, hey, good morning, and it was Monday morning, and they're like, five more days till Friday, and I was like, we just got here, like, and we were wish wishing away the whole entire week already. But that's, for a lot of us, that's how we view work. It's this necessary evil we have to get through to get to the weekend or to get to retirement, and um, that's just how we view it. <clears throat> On the flip side of that, some of us, we love our work, we love what we do, and it's central to who we are as a person. So it's, it, your identity is kind of inseparable from your work because you love what you do so much. Um, and then for others of us, it's just you know, a way to, to make a living, to provide for our family. Uh, for those of us who stay at home and work, uh, your family is your work, and your work is your family, and you don't get paid anything, so it's definitely way too low of a salary. Um, <clears throat> but regardless of that, however we view our work today, it's impacting the way we go about our work and the way that we do our work. So the question becomes, you know, how should we view our work? And that'll kind of be the three ideas underneath that main idea of how we view our work. We'll talk about three ways we should view our work and how that can help us as we're, you know, attempting to honor God and serve others uh, as we go about our daily work. So what we just read uh, in Genesis, uh, we see something pretty interesting. We see God working. 
We see him with his, his hands in the dirt. You know, he's planting a garden, and he's creating, and he's creating man. And we see him working, and, and this is actually a pretty um, unique view of work, especially compared to other, you know, ancient views of how the world came into existence. You know, you had other views that would say that God created man just so the man could, had to do all the work. Gods didn't, they didn't do work, you know, or that they, you know, there was no work in paradise. Um, and even in, um, in Greco-Roman times, like in Bible times, <clears throat> doing work with your own hands was seen as lowly. And that the less you could do with your own hands, the more you could delegate, the higher your status in society. That's kind of true today. You know, the more people who report to you, the more you can delegate, the higher your status. But what we see God doing here at the very beginning of, of God's word is creating and showing, really giving dignity to all work. But not only is he working, he creates us. He creates mankind in his image, and he gives man work to do. But here's the kicker. Before sin entered the world, man had work to do. I don't know if you realize that, but in, in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God gives the man work to do before Genesis 3, whenever the fall actually happens. And this actually brings us to the first, first idea of how we should view work, and that's number one, it's simply that work is good. It's actually not some necessary evil that we have to get through. It's actually something that existed in paradise, and it's something that God himself did and does and it's us being made in God's image. It's really part of what it means to be a human, is doing work. Work is a good thing. And when we know this, when we understand that, that work is good and we view work in this way, it'll help us as we go about our work as a means to serve others because we'll, we'll recognize the dignity and the value of all work. And, we won't, you know, and, and we'll actually have more of a purpose as we go into work, as we see that. <clears throat> so you know, as far as seeing the value in all work, you know, if you work as a nurse in the NICU, uh, it's very likely you at least have some tasks of your daily job that you recognize are very valuable. You know, you're preserving the life of someone who's in, in danger, who's, who's vulnerable, so you could see that. But I'm sure there's other aspects that maybe aren't as easy to see, and for most of us, or for a lot of us, it might be really hard to connect, you know, how is my work valuable? What's, what's the dignity in my work? But I <clears throat> just want to give you an example of, you know, the, the only... The only solution isn't to quit your job. You know, it's not that, oh, well, if you can't see the value, quit your job, find a job that has value or that's seen as you know, honorable in our culture. If everyone did that, we'd actually have a pretty, pretty big problem because um, in Psalm 136, we actually see that um, it's just a very simple verse. You might read right over it if you're reading, reading that chapter. It says that God provides food for all his creatures, for all living things. God's the one who's behind that. It's a common grace of God that he provides food for us. But um, Martin Luther, the German reformer, actually used that verse to talk about the dignity of all work. Because if you think about it, you know, how do we get our food? How does God go about making that happen? Because he could just, you know, like, poof, snap his fingers, and we have food on our table. Or he could make it rain manna. He's actually done that in the past. Um, so he, he could go about it that way, but he doesn't. He instead uses human work as a means by which he accomplishes that common grace and that provision for the world. Because if you think about the way that you and I get food, for, the most, of, for most of us, we probably go to a grocery store. And if you're smart like me, you go to Aldi, because that is the best grocery store. <laughs> we, had some, we had more fans of Aldi than 9 a.m. They started, like, clapping, and I was like, yes. Uh, <clears throat> but anyways, you go to the grocery store. And when you think about, for two seconds, we don't normally think this way, but how many jobs are involved in making that possible? You know, there's a farmer who grows the food. There's, and I'm cutting a lot of jobs out here in this explanation, but there's a farmer who grows the food. There's a truck driver who moves the food from the farm to the grocery store the people who set up those purchases to make the food show up at the grocery store. You have the people who manage the grocery store, the people who stock shelves at the grocery store, the cashiers who check you out when you go there. 
And then, if you think even further, how'd you get to the grocery store? You drove in a car that somebody else made, and you used gas that somebody else made available, and you drove on roads that someone else made and made, actually maintained for you. So you could just see, you can keep thinking, realize there's like an infinite number of jobs that God will use to, to really bring about his common grace and his care in the world. And when we start thinking this through, even for your current job you're in, even the jobs that we view as, as lowly or as less than in our society, you can begin to see how it's actually, your, for one, how you're able to serve through it, but also how God is already using it to serve people around you. For example, if you, you know, look at a janitor, that's a job that we, for whatever reason in our society, we view it as lower. But if people didn't clean stuff, and uh, I worked at Quiznos in college, and I had to clean the bathroom as part of that job. If people didn't clean stuff, we would all get really sick really fast. And uh, that's all I'll say there. Uh, um, but really what this allows us to do, this first aspect of work, understanding it's good, a very practical question you can ask yourself is, how is the common grace and the common care of God being carried out through the work that I do, through my work, whatever that may be? So that's, that's just one way that we can kind of, that's an implication that you can think through with whatever job you do. And how do you affirm that and press into that in your work? But if that's all I shared today, you'd probably leave thinking, like, David's a really positive guy. You know, he's just really optimistic. He's probably never worked a day in his life, you know? Um, so this kind of brings us to the second aspect of this view that we have from God's word, of how we should view work, and that's number two. It's that work is broken. And we, we read that in, uh, in Genesis chapter 3, that when sin came into the world, one of the, the primary things that God lists that, that really gets broken through that is work. He says, the ground is cursed because of you, and you'll eat of it now of painful labor, and it's going to produce thorns and thistles. And that's obviously farmer language, um, gardening language, but it applies to all work. Really, that work itself is broken, and our relationship to work is broken by sin coming into the world. And, uh, you know, if you've ever really been, worked any job or just really been alive, you recognize this because you've seen your plans, you've seen your goals, you've seen your projects just not really go the way you want them to go. And you've been frustrated at work time and time again. And you've seen the broken systems in your workplace, whether that's you know, policies that are made purely out of greed as the motive or self, you know, self-centeredness as the motive. You've seen you know, maybe practices that are a little, you know, they're not illegal, but they're just not really honest. And you've seen this in your workplace. So you've seen really the brokenness of it. And then when things even go well in our work, they just don't really deliver the way that we wish they would. They don't, they don't fulfill us as much as we wish that our work would fulfill us. It doesn't satisfy us like we wish it would. Because one aspect of our relationship with work being broken is that we can idolize it. <clears throat> we can look to it to justify our existence or to, to fulfill us in ways that it really can't deliver. So whenever we, when we understand this aspect of work, when we start to see, okay, well, it's also broken, and this allows us, one, to not expect more from our jobs or from our career or from our work, to expect more than they can deliver. But it'll also allow us to look at any field we work in. You could look at the entire, if you work in IT, you could look at the whole field of IT. Or you could look at your specific workplace and begin to see the aspects of that that are broken and be an agent of change against that. Whether it's just a mindset in your workplace that's just not correct in the way you treat people or view work, or whether that's an actual systemic thing in your field of work that's just wrong, you can become an agent of change, even starting at the lowest level. You might not be able to change the whole thing because you're not the boss yet, but you can still begin to do that, even from the ground level. And lastly, it'll keep us from, from seeking the perfect job, you know, our whole life, looking for this job that has no challenges and no frustrations, and I always love going into work because that job doesn't really exist. 
So the questions we can ask when we think, when we understand this, is you know what what areas of my work or the field I work in, what areas are broken, and how can I how can I be an agent of change there? How can I serve people through actually correcting some of these things that are broken? And when we so we'll look at one more aspect of this kind of framework, but when we see those two, when we understand those two, that work is good, but that work is broken, it'll protect us from being overly pessimistic about work and just you know slowly dying in our cubicle until we retire. Um, it'll keep us from that, and it'll allow us to actually have purpose and drive and actually be able to say, like, hey, my work actually matters here, and I can actually really press into that. So, but it'll also keep us from being overly optimistic and expecting our work to be the core of our identity or to fulfill us in ways it really can't. Um, but the last piece, the last piece I want to look at of the kind of the three pieces of this, this view of work we should hold, um, isn't as, maybe you don't see it as clearly in Genesis, but it's really all through God's word, and it, it's simply this, it's that, uh, your work exists to profit others. So as natural as it is for us, especially where we live and when we live, to view our jobs as a means of you know, self-satisfaction or self-advancement, um, as natural as that is for us, that's not the way that, that we're, really, we're really supposed to view work or approach our work. And you can see this in Genesis um, if you look at just even the way that God says, I made all this for you so that you have food. So you see God creating for the sake of people. He's saying, I made this for you. But as you look through God's word, you see it even more and more clearly spelled out in relation to, to our work. You know, last week Aaron was talking about in Jeremiah 29, when God's people are called to seek the good of the city, seek the good of the place that they, where they are, those around them. And this idea of, you know, putting the interests of others before our own and considering others better than ourselves. This is really, you know, the central message of Christianity, the central message of the gospel. And whenever we, whenever we recognize this, uh, we begin to see how it applies to our work. And you can, you can see this in the New Testament, um, for example. In uh, Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul is talking to Christians who used to be thieves. So they used to steal, and now they're Christians. So he's telling them how to live now. And he says, thieves should no longer steal, but should instead do honest work with their own hands. And if he stopped there, we'd be like, yeah, they should. That makes sense. But the verse continues. He says, thieves should no longer steal, but they should work with their own, do honest work with their own hands so that they can give to all who are in need. So you see this idea. It's not just about you not being a thief anymore. It's about those around you who are in need. It's an other-focused kind of work. <clears throat> and in 1 Corinthians 10, you see the Apostle Paul, and he's talking about, in all you do, like everything you do, which would include your work, do all for the glory of God. And, he, and he's kind of pointing to himself as an example, and he said, I didn't seek my own profit, I sought the profit of others, profit of many, that they, might, that, they might come, that they might be saved, they might come to know God. So your work is not just for your own profit, it's for the profit of those around you. And it's really to be pointing people to God as well. But I wanted to uh, pause for a moment to say, this, uh, this selfless way of, of approaching work, or even going through life with that kind of selfless attitude, is not something that any person can do 100% of the time. Because the, the really sin and self-centeredness runs so deep in, in mankind and all of us that there's no place of work and there's no person who doesn't still wrestle with self-centeredness as they approach their work. For example, when preparing a sermon to say in a church, <laughs> self-centeredness is still constantly there. And you might see like the church, again, the sacred-secular divide, we're like, oh, the, working in the church has to be, you know, like that's a job where you're doing it. But it's, it's still a challenge because... For example, I can think through, like, okay, how do, I, how do I prepare so that it's clear? I want to prepare enough to make sure I'm communicating clearly. Like, I hope to communicate clearly. 
That's kind of an other-focused way of thinking. That's good. But at the same time, there can be this self-centered line of, I just don't like how it feels when I forget what I was going to say. Or I don't want to come across as silly. Or like, I don't want people to disagree with me and be mad at me. You know, like there's all these different things that come in that are about me. So that's just to show you that like, there's, first off, there's no field of work or no person who's doing this perfectly. And that is why it's so important for the gospel to shape every aspect of our, like, of our life, especially our work. Because the gospel isn't just, I mean, it is our, it's our picture of selflessness. You know, you see Jesus giving his life for us, for our sake. That's the picture of Christian selflessness. We can look to that and say, that's what true selflessness looks like. But it's even more than that. It's not just our example to look to. It's the reason we know that we're still okay and that we're forgiven when our self-centeredness rears its ugly head and we fall back into our, our tendency to, to focus on ourselves or do our work for us. So I wanted to pause to at least address that. This isn't something where it's like, if you don't do this perfect, you're, you're the worst. It's saying, no, no, we need to have the gospel shaping our view of everything, including our work. And when we understand that our work exists for the sake of others and not just for ourselves, this one might be the biggest shift for all of us as far as the way we actually approach our work because it's so counter to how we, we typically think. Um, for example, just to give you a few implications if we actually thought this way, um, if, when you're looking for a job or when you were considering where to work next, uh, the questions would be totally different. Instead of, you know, how much money will I get? How fulfilling is the job? How fun is it? How prestigious is it? You know, where do I get to live? Is it somewhere cool I get to live? Instead of that, the questions would then become, what are the needs in my community around me? How has God designed me? And what are the opportunities where those all line up? Where my community's needs, my gifting, whatever that is, and, and the actual opportunities I have in front of me, where do those line up? And I want to be careful. That doesn't mean everyone looks around and finds a ministry job they do in their community, because your community might need a new lawyer. It might need a better mayor. It might need good electricians. Like, look at the needs. That would change the way we looked at how we actually approached work entirely. And beyond that, it would actually change the way we handled the work we were currently doing, because you could ask, how am I working? Like tomorrow, you could do this when you went into work. How am I working for the benefit of other people instead of just for my own profit? Because it's so easy to get sucked in that mindset of just advance yourself, you know, make sure everything is about building your resume, and we just lose sight of the fact that our work actually doesn't exist for us. So ask yourself that. You know, how, how am I working for the sake of others? And how is the gospel of Jesus shaping the way I think about and approach my work? And I wanted to also just mention, when we're talking about work, or we're talking about careers, it's really easy to, to think, you know, paid jobs or paid work or careers in that sense. Um, but if you're a stay-at-home parent or you're someone who takes care of your elderly parents, uh, that is some of the most selfless work I can think of. And while it may not have pay or profit or prestige attached to it, uh, when you look at how God views work and the purpose of work being for the benefit of others, um, your work is right in line with what God says is very purposeful, good, important work. And if you're retired, I'm not telling you to go get a job <laughs> and make sure you start a new job this, this week. Um, while the nature of your work might change, you never retire from seeking the benefit and seeking the profit of other people. And your, your work might not look like a career, but you still have plenty of work for you to do. We don't, rec we don't retire from that. So whenever we look at God's word, we, get, we start to see this kind of, kind of distinct revolutionary idea of work where it, it exists to glorify and honor God through loving our neighbors by serving them through our work. That's the reason we have work. And, and like I said at the beginning, I hope this 
you know, obviously it's kind of starting a conversation, it's kind of moving our, our brains thinking about work in this way, but I hope it's practically helpful to you, because you can really, you could think through your job, through the lens of work being good, but broken, and for the sake of others, you could think through your job and, and start doing things practically different tomorrow. So I think it is practical, but I did want to try to bring it down a little more to the ground level, maybe make it a little more clear as far as how this might look, <clears throat> because, uh, you know, the name of the series is it's Uncommon Good. So as I was preparing this, this teaching, I was thinking, like, what, what is it that is uncommon or that is distinct about a Christian employee versus a non-Christian employee? And when you think about that question, it's not really that simple because you can't just say, you know, well, they work hard. Like, yeah, Christians might work hard, but there's a lot of people who work really hard and do some of the most excellent work in the world who are not Christians. And it can't just be, oh, you know, be nice, be gentle, be kind to people, that's good. Like, that is good, you should be nice and gentle and kind, true. But there's also a lot of really sweet, kind people who are not Christians. And it can't simply be to tell everyone you work with about Jesus. That's not a bad thing. It's not bad to share the hope that is within you with those that you interact with on a regular basis. That's a good thing. But it doesn't help you at all answer the question of how do you go about your work and your tasks in a way that honors God and serves people. So what is it that makes a Christian employee distinct from a non-Christian employee? Here's the answer I have for you today. It depends. And I have in my notes here, pause for dissatisfaction. <laughs> so that's what I'm doing right now. I'm gonna pause and let you be mad at me. But here's what I mean. <clears throat> I've had, I've, I'm 32 years old, and I've had just a random smattering of jobs through my life. So I've worked at Taco Bell Express, which is when you take fast food and make it faster. <laughs> Not sure why it was called an express. So Taco Bell Express, I've worked as a camp counselor, summer camp counselor, which included being a lifeguard. Uh, I worked at Quiznos Subs. Um, I was an intern at an advertising agency. Uh, I worked night shift at Walmart stocking shelves. I worked at Nationwide Insurance for about six and a half years as a claims adjuster, handling insurance claims. And now I work at a church as a small group director. So if you look at my resume, it makes no sense. And you could try to figure it out, how it all worked together, but nobody knows. Um, but anyways, here's what I found through my experience. Uh, again, I'm only 32, but this is what I found. Is that when I worked in retail and when I worked in fast food, uh, working hard actually did make me stand out. It actually did make me distinct. And I think the reason for that is those are fields of work that we view as less than in our society. So, oftentimes in those places, the culture there of the employees is one of just kind of dissatisfaction or shame or just, I don't really see the purpose in doing this well. So just showing up and doing your work and doing it well uh, and being consistent, that actually does make you distinct. And I didn't have some like perfectly thought out theology of work when I worked in those places, but I did know that work is good, that working hard is good. You know, God says to work hard no matter where you are. Um, and I knew that with a gospel view of myself, I'm not better than any type of work. I'm not better than that. So in that area, I actually stood out by working hard. However, if you work in like a cutthroat competitive industry, whatever it is, you know, if you're at a startup company or just some highly competitive field with really desirable jobs, working hard will not make you stand out. In fact, resting might make you stand out. So doing the exact opposite thing that made you stand out over here, and you, you'll still work hard, but you'll actually take time to rest. You, because you know work is broken, and our relationship with work is broken, you won't overwork to the point of making work your idol. 
And you might even get labeled as lazy or not committed because you're not willing to let work rule your life. So you see, it depends. It depends on the work environment that we're in because what is, what is unique about a Christian is that Jesus is the Lord of your life and that means his view of work is your view of work. So you'll have a distinct view of work that you can then take into any job, no matter where it is, and you can find how you can do that job in a way that honors God and serves those around you. And the options, the way that'll play out is literally infinite. So I'm not going to stand here and try to give you a list of what that looks like. It's literally infinite. But this is a process that all of us, I think, should engage in, of, of thinking this through. And, and it's a process that, it's a lifelong thing. Again, I work at a church, and I'm still figuring it out. I'm figuring out what does it look like for me to work in a way that serves my coworkers, and to work in a way that serves the small group leaders who I lead. And serves you guys, serves the congregation that's a part of this local church, and serves the community that's around here who doesn't really know us yet. So this is something you think out through your whole life, and you'll be thinking through your whole life. It's not something you just show up on day one and <clears throat> you have all the answers. Like, this is what it means. So it's, it's a process. And it's one that you shouldn't do alone. Um, I don't know if, if any of you guys are into 80s action movies, but uh, basically you're not Rambo. <laughs> and I don't know if any of you guys know who Rambo is, but I was born in 1989, in June. So I can claim the 80s, because I lived in half of one. <laughs> but I, can, I, I find 80s action movies to be hilarious. I think they're 80s comedies. I wouldn't recommend watching them, though, because I can't guarantee you all that's in them. But Rambo is the guy who can destroy an entire nation's army with a bow and arrow that shoots exploding arrows. That's him. <clears throat> and um, that's not who you are as a Christian in the workforce. You're not Rambo. Uh, in Matthew 5, when Jesus calls his followers the salt of the earth, he says, you are the salt of the earth. The word you, he uses there, is plural. And it makes sense. When you think about salt, if you put one grain of salt on a rack of ribs, you will not know that it's there. But if you dump enough salt on something, you can't ignore it. And that's the idea of being a Christian in the workforce, is you're, you're a, an important part, but a very small part of what God is doing all through the world. And you're salt that's going to make a difference, and you're distinct, but you're not the hero. It doesn't all rest on your shoulders. And that can be a relieving thing, to know that it's like, it's not your job to make sure a revival happens everywhere you go. But you can be sure that God is doing important work in and through you, no matter where you work. And the cumulative effect can be one where he really does change the world through his people working in the world. And I actually want to <clears throat> read a quote that <clears throat> I just thought was really cool. It's uh, by a guy named Oz Guinness, who I think actually is related to like the Guinness, like the beer guy. Uh, but this guy's a Christian author, and he wrote uh, pretty extensively on calling and the idea of work and faith working together. And this is what he said. <clears throat> he said, grand Christian movements will rise and fall. Grand campaigns will be mounted and grand coalitions assembled. But altogether, such coordinated efforts will never match the influence of untold numbers of followers of Christ living out their callings faithfully across the vastness and complexity of modern society. So he's saying all these big Christian movements that you hear about on the news or the big flashy things, they're not, they're not bad in themselves, but they're never going to match the influence of you guys, of Christians who are working in the workforce, who are just all across society being faithful to, to really what God has called you to, which doesn't mean you have to work in a ministry. And I'm going to call up the, the worship team and, uh, and we'll close down here. But to, to close out this, you know, starting this conversation on work, I think you have to, we have to touch on the idea of rest, <clears throat> which we saw 
uh, when we read in Genesis 1, in Genesis, the beginning of Genesis 2, is that when God completed his work of creation, so it's, the work is done, and he says it's very good, and that work is completed, and because it's completed and it's very good, he rests. When we see that, we recognize that rest is, is really integral to what, and to go hand in hand with work. And what it means to be a Christian is not only to be an imitator of Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus. That is part of it, but it's not only that. To be a Christian is to be someone who is resting in the finished work of Jesus. And on the cross, Jesus, one of his, in his final words, it is finished. It means that the work of our salvation, the work of our justification, that's already done. And it's when we understand this that we can actually approach our work in a way that is selfless. Because we're not, we don't need our work to justify us. We don't need our work to give us an identity or to give us fulfillment or to give us satisfaction because we already have that in Jesus. And it's when we're working from this place of rest that not only do we, are we actually able to do our work selflessly, but it's also what gives us a place to go back to when we feel condemned because our workaholism or our laziness or our self-centeredness reared its ugly head again. And we can go back to that. Because maybe you're listening to this message today and you feel condemned. You're like, man, like I've been at the same job for 20 years. They don't even know I'm a Christian. And I don't even have a good reputation there. And maybe you feel that way. Or maybe you're retired and you're like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do with this teaching. What am I doing here? But what we see here whenever we understand this idea that, that Jesus is our rest is that you're not condemned. It's never too late to begin having the gospel transform your entire life and to have it shape every, every aspect of your life, even your work. It's never too late for that. Because this, again, Christianity is a message of grace. It's not a message of condemnation. So when we understand that and we approach our work from that understanding, it can completely change the way we go about our everyday lives, go about our work and let the gospel shape everything about us. God is a God of grace and he's able uh, to give us the grace we need to give you the grace and give me the grace we need to actually go about our work in a way that honors him and that serves those around us. I'm going to go ahead and pray and close this out. <clears throat> Father, we thank you that, that um, you've, you've finished the, uh, the most important work already in our place. And uh, God, I thank you also that you care about the details of our lives, the, the day-in, day-out details that can feel mundane to us. Uh, you're there, and you're working there. And I just pray that you would make us a people who see the opportunities you've put before us to be a part of what you're doing. And at the same time, that we would rest knowing that we're not the hero, but we can point people to the hero, which is you. And Lord Jesus, we pray for the grace to do this, to do it well. We pray just that we would um, have patience with one another and that we'd have the, uh, even just the wisdom to know what it looks like, to really engage in our work in a way that honors you and serves people. And we thank you for the way you love us. We praise in Jesus' name.